Hello and welcome to The Wire, your independent national coverage of a current affairs right across Australia on community and Indigenous radio. I'm Mamina Shakur coming to you from 3ZZZ Radio in Melbourne, Victoria. And today on the show, the High Court deems Victoria's electric car tax unconstitutional, setting a precedent against similar charges. And we speak to a community radio station about their experience with an electric car. We should be encouraging and rewarding people for choosing climate-friendly transport. Channel 31 will be hosting the 2023 Antenna Awards this week to celebrate diversity and local talent in community television. Also, we have a the Australian seafood industry has a global reputation. Economically, if you see globally, 50 billion US dollar lost due to food, you know, fraudulent activities of food. The Australian seafood industry has found a way to identify the origin of fish using a handheld device. We'll have this and more for you over the next half hour. The High Court has ruled the controversial Victorian road user tax on electric cars unconstitutional which charged electric vehicle users based on the distance they travelled. This decision is of great significance as it sets a precedent preventing other jurisdictions from introducing similar charges on electric vehicles. The tax removal is vital for promoting the adoption of electric cars in workplaces and encouraging the transition to be sustainable as it eliminates a financial barrier for electric vehicle users. A community radio station in Melbourne has switched to using an electric car for outside broadcasting. I spoke to John King, manager at 3ZZZ Radio, about their benefits of electric cars in the workplace. 3ZZZ decided it's time to get out into the community in the wake of the pandemic or a way to reduce the barriers to our volunteers to get out into the community is to provide them a vehicle to do so. But we knew that with the rising petrol costs, um, that an electric car was going to be the the best way to make it easy for our volunteers to get out into the community. And how is the electric car used at the station at the moment? So it's largely used by our volunteers to get to the community. They use it to uh, carry our outside broadcast kit. Um, not too big, fits in the boot, as well as the a few banners and some promotional materials. Come to the station, pick up all the equipment in the car, ready to go, get the keys, drive out to their community event, set up and present their outside broadcast and bring everything back all in, uh, in one day or within overnight. Well, there's almost zero cost to it. We pay for the electricity cost to charge the car during the day, um, but the electricity costs through a PowerPoint are comparatively tiny compared to you know what we operate the station on with five studios and a tech room. Greens MP Ellen Sandal is urging the government to push for electric vehicle subsidies and revamping the electric car policy to reduce petrol cars. 
So the Greens in Victoria fought tooth and nail against the tax on electric cars when Labor tried to bring it in. Unfortunately, we weren't successful and Labor decided to tax electric cars anyway. But we thought it was a really regressive move because it meant that people trying to make the switch to cleaner forms of transport were being penalised. We should be encouraging and rewarding people for choosing climate-friendly transport. We know that transport emissions are the fastest growing in Victoria and so doing anything to disincentivise clean transport is a really bad idea right now particularly when we've got so many petrol cars still on the road. So we were happy that the High Court struck that down and we hope Labor will go back to the drawing board, come up with a proper plan to incentivise cleaner forms of transport. Well, when the tax was introduced, Labor also introduced a very short-term subsidy of $3,000 on electric cars, on low-cost electric cars, so not really high-end cars, but the lower-cost electric cars. Unfortunately, after a very short time, they actually took away that subsidy, so we just were left with the tax with no subsidy. We think there should be subsidies for people who are switching to more climate-friendly modes of transport, including electric vehicles and electric cars, but also that we need a big investment in cycling infrastructure, public transport infrastructure. We need to get petrol cars off the road. That's the bottom line. And we need Labor to actually come to the party and do that. Radio station 3ZZZ found the cost of purchasing an electric vehicle with subsidies helpful. Yeah, when we were researching buying electric vehicles, the costs came into, for the car that we purchased, out of pocket was about $44,000. But because we are registered for GST and uh, have you know, our charitable status and our tax exemptions, um, it effectively, and rebates and other concessions that we get effectively cost us $24,000 to purchase a $44,000 vehicle. We are now looking forward to reduce taxes here in Victoria after the recent High Court ruling, um, but hope that the government can extend those rebates if they haven't already um, so that other community organisations like 3ZZZ can benefit from using an electric vehicle. 3ZZZ broadcaster Karen Fogarty says her experience with the electric vehicle was incredibly safe compared to her own current car. Yeah, I'll tell you uh, an example is that I was driving it in the city and a car did a, a hook turn in front of me when it shouldn't have. It like went too early and I had to slam on the brakes and it stopped like on a dime. It was amazing. It stopped much quicker um, than my own car. I have a Mazda CX-9 and I was just like any kind of question I ever had about the safety, just that, that braking on it was incredible. And we didn't, yeah, we, my passenger as well, we were both kind of, I was like, oh no, <laughs> I've borrowed this car and um, this has happened, but um, it was it was beautiful. That was broadcaster Karen Fogarty speaking to The Wire. In the 2023 Antenna Awards, diversity takes centre stage as they celebrate voices often overlooked in mainstream media, such as First Nation stories and LGBTQI plus voices. Community television has a long history of supporting inclusivity. With the introduction of CTV Plus Program of the Year Award, they're making their content more accessible to a wider audience while supporting local talent and Australian stories. I speak to Shane Dunlop, the General Manager at Channel 31, about cultural shift in the media landscape. What inspired the theme of diversity for this year's Antenna Awards and, and how do you believe it will impact the community television sector? Oh, well, that's a great question. 
and the answer really, nothing inspired it. Um, the diversity exists organically within the community television sector. So the Antenna Awards <clears throat> and the nominees um, for this uh, this year's awards are a true reflection of the kind of diversity that exists within community TV and more broadly community media across Australia. Um, so we're really proud of that fact, the fact that these awards are essentially a reflection of uh, what is probably one of the, the, the most diverse uh, TV um, networks in the country. And uh, can you provide some examples of types of stories, cultures and experiences that these awards um, will celebrate, which may not be well represented in mainstream media? Uh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, the, I mean, we, we have... Uh, quite a few examples um, of programs and, and, and cultures and groups that are uh, represented in this year's Antenna Awards that uh, you just wouldn't see on um, traditional media platforms or commercial television for that matter. One of our uh, programs that we're really proud of that um, is produced by a new producer to community television by the name of Bol Mayan. He's uh, a young uh, African-Australian uh, and he has produced roughly 13 or so episodes of a program that is focused solely on telling the stories of African-Australians, and particularly young African-Australians. Uh, that was shot in the Channel 31 studios. Uh, so just a, a, you know, a traditional sort of half-hour chat show, but featuring people from a community that are largely overlooked uh, by um, mainstream media. And you mentioned a lot of like diverse programs. Um, how important is diverse uh, representation in television? I mean, it's incredibly important. It's important for people to to see themselves reflected um, back in in any media outlet. And Australia has a long history of perhaps not being um, as reflective. Uh, of its actual community in the media um, uh, as much as it could be. I know that community media and community television is one of the shining examples of being a true reflection. Um, and, and essentially what we're providing is a stepping stone platform for um, the people who make community television, the people who watch it, to, uh, I guess, influence the larger sector and the broader media sector um, so that there is an increase and there is an improvement in um, in, in the diversity of, of um, people and stories that are reflected in, in, in mainstream and commercial media. Um, it's incredibly important, as I said, for people to be able to um, see themselves, hear themselves and, and, and get information from um, sources that they recognise and understand. And what are your expectations for long-term, um, uh, sorry, for the long-term future of um, community television? Yes. So we're in a lot uh, different position this year than we have been in previous, um, previous certainly recent history. Um, we are hopeful um, of community television being around for a long time. Um, we know that the spectrum that we use, uh, and this has been in contention for almost a decade, um, that you know the, the government or previous governments have said that uh, that spectrum is required for other uses. We know that the other uses 
are a long way off being uh, able to be implemented. And so we're of the expectation that we will be able to navigate our way uh, through to, you know, at least the end of the decade. Um, and we're working very hard to confirm that and have that all squared away um, in, in the next uh, uh, couple of months. That was Shane Dunlop, the General Manager at Channel 31, speaking to The Wire. You're listening to The Wire, independent current affairs on community and Indigenous radio. I'm Amina Shakur in Melbourne. A big hello to our listeners in Alice Springs on 8CCC 102.1 FM and to our friends in Noosa on Noosa FM 101.3 and to the other side of the country to Radio Gula Ree in Broome, Western Australia. The Australian public have once again navigated their way through the storm and drag of another referendum, where after months of intense and passionate debate, the voice referendum finally concluded in a resounding victory for the No campaign. Former political strategist and director for polling company Redbridge, Kos Samaras, explains to The Wire why the Yes campaign failed so resoundingly. Uh, this, you are right that handheld XRF currently used by the particularly the mining industries and other environmental purposes. We use this particularly recalibrate or calibrate this instrument towards seafood analysis so that we can get a good elemental profile of the sample. And by doing that, we use actually our other nuclear tools and techniques, uh, particularly available at Anstor, including ion beam analysis and X-ray fluorescence scanning using eye tracks, and um, then use some mathematical model to recalibrate and to test or to verify the authenticity of the data. So in a nutshell, we use or recalibrate or repurpose the handheld XRF towards seafood analysis so that we can generate good quality data and then subsequently we use this data for the provenance study. You say the seafood chain, especially imported products, is quite long. Can you explain what you mean by that? What actually the purpose of our work is to, to determine the source and origins of this product, including the authenticity of the farm and wild origin. So this is important. So the work particularly have few different components. We develop this technology particularly for the end user's perspective, for the end users to use it, like the industry, so that when there is a in the seafood available, either in the marketplace or in the farm gate, if we are able to scan this using handheld XRF or X-ray fluorescence technique on a spot or in the farm gate, and the data generated from that can then be interact with the database, the fingerprint database we developed, and we will able to provide them a solution. How important is the notion of provenance to the seafood industry? This is uh, very important. In a sense, we have a, the Australian seafood industry has a global reputation, particularly for its high quality food. And economically, if you see globally, 50 billion US dollar lost due to food, you know, fraudulent activities of food. That includes all type of food. And I think it is around four, around four million dollar 
is lost particularly every year from the seafood fraud and 70% of the food actually we consume in Australia, seafood, I'm talking about around 70% of that coming from overseas. So understanding the variability about provenance of it is very important. How's the notion of human rights and abuses com- compromising the seafood industry? So human rights compromise, I think there is another angle of it. There are issues like, for example, if, we, if the food is particularly coming from a sustainably managed resources, whether the illegal use of labor have been used or not, that is part of the authenticity in a sense. And through the identi- through the use of handled X-ray technology and this provenance technology, it is another angle that we can identify actually where it is coming from. How successful have trials with the handheld scanner been and what are you sort of up to? Uh, look, this project is uh, a collaboration uh, with university and industry, particularly UNSW and Professor Jasmine Samot is one of our collaborators. Sydney Fish Market is one of our collaborators, National Measurement Institute and Macquarie University also a collaborator. So we have a, a great example of industry ANSTO collaboration project, which is led by ANSTO, and we get uh, students involved through this project. So we, through our last several years of research, we came across, uh, we developed our provenance database, fingerprint database. We also developed a provenance model, which can deal these elemental data, which is coming through XRF, and we tested it towards the accuracy, and where we are now, over 80% accurately, we can identify whether it is a farm product and wild product and the geographical origin, particularly uh, whether it is coming from New South Wales source or it's a Queensland source or it is a uh, Northern Australia source. But one thing you need to understand, this is a big project and this is a big task. Provenance is very critical and it is not a straightaway easy task. It takes a bit of a time and we are at this moment, the way we develop, we are very, very clear and very much confident to uh, we, we show that already scientifically, and we already published papers on this area, that farm and wild can be easily identified with over 90% accuracy. Geographic, geographical uh, distribution or geographical source can be identified close to 80%. That was Gabriel D'Angelo speaking to Cos Samaras, director for polling company Redbridge. The seafood industry has spent decades trying to find a foolproof way of determining the source and prevalence of seafood and reduce the risk of foreign product being passed off as Australian. From now, UNSW has teamed with the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation to recalibrate a common handheld device, providing a unique profile of the elements of a fish. National Radio News reporter Laura Devoy asked Principal Research Scientist at Anastro, Dr. Dibashish Mazumdur, how the scanner was re- how the scanner was recalibrated to use in this project. Uh, this you are right that handheld X-ray currently used by the particularly the mining industries and other environmental purposes. We use this particularly recalibrate or calibrate this instrument towards seafood analysis so that we can get a good elemental profile of the sample. And by doing that, we use actually our other nuclear tools and techniques, uh, particularly available at Anstow, including ion beam analysis and X-ray fluorescence scanning using eye tracks. And um, then use some mathematical model to recalibrate and to test or to verify the authenticity of the data. So in a nutshell, we 
use or recalibrate or repurpose the handheld XRF towards seafood analysis so that we can generate good quality data and then subsequently we use this data for the provenance study. You say the seafood chain, especially imported products, is quite long. Can you explain what you mean by that? What actually the purpose of our work is to, to determine the source and origins of this product, including the authenticity of the farm and wild origin. So this is important. So the work particularly have few different components. We developed this technology particularly for the end user's perspective, for the end users to use it, like the industry, so that when there is a in the seafood available, either in the marketplace or in the farm gate, if we are able to scan these using handheld XRF or X-ray fluorescence technique on a spot or in the farm gate, and the data generated from that can then be interacted with the database, the fingerprint database we developed, and we will able to provide them a solution. How important is the notion of provenance to the seafood industry? This is uh, very important. In a sense, we have a Australian seafood industry has a global reputation, particularly for its high quality food. And economically, if you see globally, 50 billion US dollar lost due to food, you know, fraudulent activities of food. That includes all type of food. And I think it is around four, around four million dollar is lost particularly every year from the seafood fraud and 70% of the food actually we consume in Australia, seafood, I'm talking about around 70% of that coming from overseas. So understanding the variable provenance of it, it is very important. How's the notion of human rights and abuses com compromising the seafood industry? So human rights compromise, I think there is another angle of it. There are issues like, for example, if, we, if the food is particularly coming from a sustainably managed resources, whether the illegal use of labor have been used or not, that is part of the authenticity in a sense. And through the, identity, through the use of handled expert technology and this provenance technology, it is another angle that we can identify actually where it is coming from. How successful have trials with the handheld scanner been and what are you sort of up to? Uh, look, this project is uh, a collaboration uh, with university and industry, particularly UNSW and Professor Jasmine Samot is one of our collaborators. Sydney Fish Market is one of our collaborators, National Measurement Institute and Macquarie University also a collaborator. So we have a, a great example of industry ANSTO collaboration project, which is led by ANSTO, and we get uh, students involved through this project. So we, through our last several years of research, we came across, uh, we developed our provenance database, fingerprint database. We also developed a provenance model, which can deal these elemental data, which is coming through XRF, and we tested it towards the accuracy, and where we are now, we, over 80% accurately, we can identify whether it is a farm product and wild product, and the geographical origin, particularly uh, whether it is coming from New South Wales source or it's a Queensland source or it is a uh, Northern Australia source. But one thing you need to understand, this is a big project and this is a big task. Provenance is very critical and it is not a, a straightaway easy task. It takes a bit of a time and we are at this moment, the way we develop, we are very, very clear and very much confident to uh, we, we show that already scientifically and we already published papers on this area that 
farm and wild can be easily identified with over 90% accuracy. Geographical, geographical uh, distribution or geographical source can be identified close to 80%. That was Dr. Dibashish Mazumdur from the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation. Ending the story by the National Radio News, Laura Devoy. And unfortunately, that's the end of today's show. Thanks so much for listening wherever you are in Australia. The Wire is a co-production between community radio stations 3ZZZ in Melbourne, 2SER in Sydney, Radio Adelaide, 4ZZZ and Radio 4EB in Brisbane. With the great support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and Community Radio Network. Check out all of our stories on our website at thewire.org.au and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Wire acknowledges the traditional custodians of the Wurundjeri people of the Kula Nations where the program has been produced and we pay our respects to our Aboriginal elders past, present and emerging. I'm Amina Shakur coming to you from 3ZZZ Radio in Melbourne, Victoria. Thanks so much for your company and we'll see you next time on The Wire.